Well, good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. We're glad you're here, even on a rainy day. Uh, what a privilege and joy it is to be together as the people of God and, and uh, able to worship Him today. If you're joining us by live stream, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. We want you to know here at East LJ, for those of you especially visiting with us for the first time today, we want you to know we have been captivated by Christ through the gospel. We have seen God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, Scripture says. That is, we've seen through, this, through the message of, of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we've seen God's grace freely given to us in Christ. And He has captivated us to think that the God who created all things, who is holy, would send His own Son to a world of rebels, sinners, people who hated God, uh, that we might know Him and not, no longer be His enemies, but be His children. Uh, as John would say, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God. And so we've been captivated by Him. We pray this morning that you'll see His beauty and that you'll be captivated by Him as well. I just want to give a, a, a shout out to, to a lot of our folks. Uh, just a lot, of, a lot of different things going on in, in, the, in the life of our church right now. We've got uh, growing local missions. We're, uh, today we'll be receiving an offering uh, to help out with Turkey. Our foreign missions committee is busy at work collecting some donations for uh, Turkey and Syria, earthquake victims. Um, we've just got a lot going on, and, and it's exciting to see people serving. We appreciate uh, what everybody uh, does in the church, all the way uh, in, in, to our children's ministries, to our Sunday school teachers. Uh, a lot of volunteers. It, it takes a lot of folks to help uh, to, to make the ministry of our church uh, go, and so we're thankful to each and every one of you that serve. We will be receiving that offering that will uh, benefit the Turkey and Syria earthquake victims. Um, that will go through Samaritan's Purse so on your way out today and next Sunday. Uh, you can give toward that. Uh, we're going to pray for, for the, that region this morning and all the, the, the many people uh, affected. Uh, also, we're collecting donations for that area. Um, and, and if you are connected with our church app, then you know what those needs are, and you can bring them and put them out in the hallway there. And we'll do that today and next Sunday as well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and mercy to us that moved you to send your Son. While we were still sinners, while we were still living in rebellion toward you, you initiated salvation for us and you loved us in spite of our sin in spite of our rebellion and Lord Jesus we thank you for your willingness to come to, to lay aside your glory and to step into humanity in a way we don't fully comprehend but as the perfect God man to be perfectly righteous in our place and then to go to the cross and in our place, die the death that our sins deserved, not having any of your own because you were perfect. And then buried three days dead and on the third day rising from the dead in victory in our place. What a Savior you are. We praise you. We thank you that you have, for those of us who know you today, you brought us into fellowship with God. And Lord, you, you brought us back 
to yourself and restored relationship that we can be called children of God. Lord, we thank you that we know this today, but we pray for our neighbors, co-workers, family members, friends who don't yet know Jesus. And even right now, as we think of those people that uh, are most pressing in our hearts and minds, we pray for them and ask that you work in their hearts and and that you work in our hearts to be faithful and compassionate and bold witnesses to them. Lord, we pray for the nations this morning. So many, 3.25 billion people who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus, unreached with the truth of the gospel. So God, raise up from our midst and churches all over the world, even as you're doing, missionaries to take the gospel to the unreached. Lord, for those there in Turkey and Syria... We understand over 25,000 dead, 870,000 people in dire need of food, 5.3 million left homeless. God, we pray that you would work through your people in the region and those going into the region through groups like uh, the Southern Baptist Sin Relief Organization and Samaritan's Purse and others. God, use them to meet needs and comfort and strengthen and and provide food and and water and shelter. And in the middle of all that, God, to speak the love of Christ, the gospel, into into their lives. Lord, I pray that you would use us in a mighty way to give toward the relief effort there. God, today we also join our hearts in praying for Lana Weberg. Thank you for a good report on her that she's uh, recovering well from uh, open heart surgery. And we just praise you for your goodness there. We continue to pray for Judy Williams, Lord. We pray for, uh, we thank you for answering prayer for Noah Gatanaglu. And uh, today, Father, I lift up a friend, James Hearley. Pray for Claire Ralston and Frankie Bass, for Nancy Green, Russell Adamson. Lord, we just, we rejoice this morning in your answered prayer for McKenna Cook. Continue to lift up Sophia Deerwent. And God, today we want to pray for the families of Larry West and Mac West, two brothers who passed away within just a couple of days of each other this week, uh, relatives of the, the Callahans and, and, and West in our area. God, we just pray that you would bring comfort to the family. And, uh, and Lord, just uh, thank you for your uh, presence there. Lord, for this time, we ask that Christ be exalted that we see him high and lifted up, that we be undistracted by all that concerns us otherwise today, that we come into your presence and be still and know that you are God. Lord, by your Spirit, work that focus in our hearts. And as we see Jesus, may we find in him our all in all. May we drink from the fountain of living water. May we feast on your grace and mercy in Christ. And may we be satisfied. And as we go out from here, may we proclaim to a world who is desperately thirsting and hungering for what only Jesus can give, the grace that only God can provide. Lord, may we go out and proclaim the one bread of life, the one fountain of living water. Jesus.
We ask it all in his precious name. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning. Let's all stand together and uh, we'll spend some time in worship and song.
Wanted to welcome Matt back today. You gotta. Yeah. He almost broke his foot just because he wanted a day off, but <laughs> we're glad he got a good doctor's report and he's back with us.
Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts before you. You have no rival. You have no equal. Forever our God, our King, reigns over all. I thank you for your presence in this place by your Spirit, for your power at work in our hearts. And we ask that now you continue to work to lift high the name of Jesus. May we understand what it means for Jesus to be King. To truly be the unrivaled King of our hearts and our lives as your people today. And may we sing your praises loud and clear day by day. Not just in here on a Sunday morning, but on a Thursday afternoon in the workplace. May we sing the praises of the only eternal King. The only Savior of mankind. We need your presence in this moment. How we praise you for the word of God and all of the riches of it. What a beautiful gift that you would reveal yourself to us in a book that we can open whenever we want to and read and see you. But we need you to be our teacher. Spirit of God, come. And guide us and lead us. Help us to take your truth and apply it. Lord, you know how your word needs to be applied in every one of our lives today. So do that work. Beginning with me. And God, if there's any in the place today or joining us by live stream today who've yet to bow their hearts before King Jesus and trust him as the only redeemer for their souls, then today, Father, I pray... Would, would you make today the day of their salvation? And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, I would invite you to take your Bibles and be ready. That, that means it's going to be one of them. We're going to be all over the place. And so you're going to need to uh, have nimble fingers and uh, pages that move. I can tell you the first passage you want to find is Philippians 3. And uh, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But we're going to be in some different places this morning. We're all familiar with the reality of an embassy, right? An embassy serves as an outpost in a foreign nation. The embassy itself is not considered territory of the nation it resides in, but territory of the nation the embassy represents. So, for example, if a fire broke out in the U.S. embassy in Brazil... The Brazilian fire department would not be allowed to enter the embassy to put out the fire without the permission of the U.S. ambassador. 
When an embassy is attacked in a given country, it is considered an attack on the nation itself. We could go through various stories throughout our own history where this has happened. Within an embassy, furthermore, there is, as we already mentioned, an ambassador, right? That ambassador resides in the foreign land and often depends, on, depends upon that foreign land for its services of food, utilities, and so forth. He or she, the ambassador, is the direct representative of the President of the United States. And as much as he might like the host country, his citizenship and his allegiance are to his home country. He is an ambassador for whatever nation, in this case the United States, let's say, he represents. He may enjoy living in Brazil. He may really like the culture of Brazil, but his citizenship and his allegiance are to his home country, again in our illustration, that of the United States. I want to talk to you this morning about Christ's ambassadors and earthly politics. Yep. Here we go. Christ ambassadors and earthly politics. The truth I want you to take home is this. Every Jesus follower is, above all, a citizen of heaven and commissioned as Christ's ambassadors to call every person in the world to citizenship in his kingdom. That's worth reading again. It's long. Make sure you get all the parts. Every word's important. Every follower, every Jesus follower is, above all, a citizen of heaven and commissioned as Christ's ambassador to call every person in the world to citizenship in his, that is Jesus' kingdom. Let me go ahead and tell you what I'm not going to be saying today, okay? I'm not saying there is no place for Christians to be involved in the political process of whatever nation we have our earthly citizenship. And that might be a good place to remind you that we are the church worldwide. Our brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is being built the world over from America to Iran where the church grows faster, way faster, than it is in these United States. There, I'm not saying there's no place for us to be involved in the political process of whatever nation we have our earthly citizenship. In fact, here, especially here in America, we the people are the governing body. We have the freedom and the privilege and responsibility to express God's truth, a, a biblical worldview concerning the moral issues of our day, from abortion to marriage to respecting every person as one who bears the image of God, created in the image of God, and all of the practical issues that follow that. We're to do this out of love for the glory of God who made and designed all things and, 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 and gave the proper design in His Word for all things. We're to do it out of love for people and a desire for God's very best in their lives. But, what I am saying today 
is that today, especially here in America, we are in danger of not just being involved in politics for Jesus' sake, in that legitimate sense that I just described, but being consumed with and identified by our politics. And I want you to hear me say this. The difference is critically and monumentally important. There's a difference between being involved and being identified by your place in the political process. I want to give you four dangers from God's Word this morning of Jesus' followers becoming consumed with and identified by our earthly politics. Four dangers of becoming consumed with and identified by our earthly politics for each person who would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, it can distort our identity. It can distort our identity. Philippians 3 verse 18, Paul says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their, they glory in their shame, listen, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We said of that ambassador that his citizenship, no matter how much he enjoys the country in which he the host country in which he lives, his citizenship is his homeland. If you know Jesus today, your citizenship is in heaven. And I want you to understand, that's, that's real. That's just not some spiritual jargon we throw around in the church. We serve a real king who reigns over a real kingdom that's worldwide and above all. And he's coming back one day. In fact, it says here, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior. We await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven. You see, the danger of becoming consumed with and identified by our earthly politics is it can distort our identity, our identity in Christ. The moment that you and I trusted Jesus Christ, we were, Scripture says, transported out of the kingdom of darkness into what? The kingdom of light and the kingdom of God's dear Son. Your citizenship radically was altered. Your primary allegiance and connection to a forever land became the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And suddenly, above all, I became a citizen of heaven. No matter what nation we may live in on this earth. But notice, 
from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. As we think about becoming consumed with and identified by our earthly politics, how it can distort our identity. Notice in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it's just stated outright here. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is who we are, and this is the mission we've been given. To cry out to a world, be reconciled to God, become citizens of heaven. No matter where you live, become citizens of heaven. That's our message because we are ambassadors for Christ. Where is our citizenship again? This is a quiz. Heaven. And therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We'll read this later on, but in Matthew 28, 18, just before he gives the Great Commission, we'll have more to say about the Great Commission in a minute, but just before he gives it, you know what Jesus said? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. What's happening? Let me tell you what's happening. The picture you should get when you read verse 18 is the king's fixing to give a commission. And basically what he's doing is looking at all of us who will ever believe in him, and he's saying to us as believers, as Jesus followers, I'm the king and you're being commissioned as my ambassadors to this world to represent heaven on earth as citizens of heaven to spread the message of heaven, of a savior from heaven to every person on the planet. We are Christ ambassadors. You see, every Jesus follower is above all a citizen of heaven and commissioned as Christ's ambassador to call every person in the world to citizenship in his kingdom. Every local church, can we go ahead and connect our images here, is an embassy of Jesus' heavenly kingdom. I don't mean the building. I don't mean the land on which this building sits. I mean our gathering. We, as believers, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the embassy of Jesus' heavenly kingdom in the same way that we are, Joe, God's spiritual temple on earth. We are God's house as a people. But instead of just one ambassador per embassy, Jesus fills his embassies with ambassadors. For every believer is an ambassador for Christ. And I just tell you, I think we might better understand what the local church is. David and, and Building Grounds Committee, we might can work on this. We might better understand what our role in, on earth is as the church if we change our sign out there to read this. The East L.J. Embassy of the Kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when we come in here, hear me, we're about the business of heaven. It's the only business we should ever be about. We are emissaries of a coming eternal kingdom. And we're commissioned to call people to enter that kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus himself, <clears throat> there in Matthew 16, as he talked, I should say Peter, as, he, as, as Jesus talked to Peter there in Matthew 16, verse 15, Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, but who do you say that I am? They, he'd gotten all everybody else's opinions about what they 
thought about Jesus, who he was. And Simon Peter answered. Simon Peter replied, verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In short, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you got it right, Peter. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the deal. On that confession, on the rock of that solid confession of the gospel, Peter, I'm going to build a worldwide church. I'm going to build my kingdom all over this world. I'm going to save men, women, boys, and girls through that message preached. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As the gospel is preached, some will receive the gospel and believe. And they will, they, they, will be, they will be released from the chains. They will be loosed from sin. Others will harden their hearts and resist it. The point here is this. It is the gospel that defines the church Jesus is building. The foundation stone of that church is the confession Peter made. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the only hope for the planet, no matter where you live on it. It is who Jesus is. It's what Jesus has done for us that unites us and gives us our true and eternal identity as individual believers and as a group of believers. And so let me ask you this question. When people outside the church think of us, do they first and foremost identify us either by our political position and ideology or by our identity in Christ? If you don't really understand what I'm asking there, let me, let me, ask, it, let me ask it this way. <laughs> Let's see, who can I pick on? Trey, yeah, just because he's... <laughs> It's easy. He's close and an easy target. Here's the real question, Trey. When people think, you're a bad example because you're on a church staff. Let's go. Let's, uh, I got I to pick on somebody else. Uh, let's see here. David. Okay, David. <laughs> he plays uh, out, uh, soprano sax up here, but he's an attorney. And so it's not just like an automatic pastor, automatic. There's some kind of Jesus connection, right? So not, I mean, of all things, an attorney, really. <clears throat> But the question I'm asking is this, when, 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 when people outside of the church, when they think about David Messer, what comes to mind? Political party or Jesus follower? Right? You can't answer that because you know him. My point is, if I were to go ask your friends, my friends, if you were to go ask my friends outside the church, y'all see where I'm going with this, don't you? Because as Jesus followers, we talk a lot about politics. Y'all all right? But we're not even citizens eternally of this kingdom. Would people say that, hey, that, that man, I don't know a lot about that guy. Here's why I know he loves Jesus because I've heard him talk about Jesus. Or would they say, you know, he's, I know, I know one, one thing I know about him, he's of this political persuasion. Because that's what he 
talks about around the office. And again, I'm pretty sure, I don't know any of David's friends outside of the church, but pretty sure he'd be known as Jesus' follower. But what about, what about you? What about me? I, whew, here we go. If we think Jesus fully agrees with all of our politics, then our identity in Christ is distorted. Because let me just tell you, Jesus doesn't stand on either side of the aisle. Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, wasn't it Abraham to whom Jesus, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus in a um, pre-incarnate form appeared and, and he said, whose side are you on? Is that right? Am I, am I right? Is that Abraham? What did, what, what did, what did, did the angel of the Lord, speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ, say? He said, oh yes, Abraham, I'm on you. Of course I'm on your side. You're one of the people of God. You're, you, you know, you're part of that nation of Israel. You're in the right party. Hello. Is that what he said? He said, I am the Lord. Oh, but, but Jesus, I ask, were you on my side or their side? <laughs> I understood the question, Jesus says. It's a wrong question. Because you're talking to me, and I'm not on anybody's side. I'm the, I rule over all. I rule over all. It's a great danger for us to be consumed with and identified by our politics because it can distort our identity. Secondly, it can divide our churches. Ephesians 2, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. You're just a couple pages away, so flip over there. Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the dividing wall that was real in that day between Jews and everybody else, Gentiles. And Paul is saying Christ came through the nation of Israel as the Messiah of the Jews. To save all nations. And that dividing wall where Jews hated Gentiles and Gentiles hated Jews, it's been broken down. And Paul says, he himself is our peace. Not just with God, but between one another, he is our peace who's made us both one. He's made us one, Jew and Gentile. In his flesh, by, by breaking down that wall in his flesh, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached, peace to you who are far off, Paul's writing to Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, speaking of the Jews, for through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. No longer was it God just relating to the nation of Israel. In Jesus Christ, 
Peace and hope and salvation is preached to the Jew through faith in Jesus Christ. And because Christ has come, peace and hope and salvation is preached to the rest of the world through faith in Jesus Christ. There's the same access no matter where you're from, where you live, what nationality you might be. We all come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. This passage teaches that one of the purposes of the cross was to save a people that would be united across all the barriers that divide us in this world. Socioeconomic barriers, race, even in that day, male and female. They weren't, they weren't equal in that day. And this passage says Jesus came to unite us all in Christ, and in him we are all one. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we get too caught up in earthly politics, consumed by and identified by our earthly politics, it can divide our churches. I think it's interesting. You remember Jesus' 12 disciples? You know, we, man, Peter gets picked on a lot. But, you know, you run your mouth like you did. That's what happens. And so some of us can identify with Peter because we run our mouths and we get in trouble for it. And there, there you are. But, but we pick on Peter a lot. Think about the rest of Jesus' disciples, particularly two that maybe we don't talk so much about. Simon the Zealot. Anybody know what that means? When it says Simon the Zealot, do we, do we, do we, don't, do we know why that's included, the Zealot? Do we know what that signifies and, and, and the depth of meaning that carries? You see, Simon the Zealot, belonged to a political party that espoused a radical overthrow of the Roman government, including vouching for the assassination of Roman soldiers and officers. Jesus made that guy one of his twelve. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, everybody remembers Matthew, who was what? A tax collector. And we got to get the fullness of the significance of that. Matthew was a Jewish employee of the Roman Empire, the occupation, collecting taxes and doing it exorbitantly to pad his own pockets, but collecting taxes on behalf of the government all his kinsmen and, and his whole nation hated the Romans. And Jesus came along, made him one of the twelve. Now here's the deal. Those two boys ain't going to get along on the street. Matthew is seen as a traitor by all his kinsmen. But you got people like Simon. He takes that to a whole other level as a zealot. He was zealous for his cause. And I'm pretty sure he'd have been fine killing guys like Matthew. He was fine killing Roman soldiers. Matthew, seen as a traitor to his own nation. Yet Jesus said, come follow me. And you know what they both did? And this is what that tells me about Jesus. They both could. He invited them to and they could. And they did. 
You see, following Jesus unites and changes both sides of the aisle. No matter what nation or time. You see, it's dangerous to be consumed by earthly politics because it can distort our identity in Christ. It can divide the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it can destroy our witness. What if the reason that many are leaving the church today, and they are, and many more don't want anything to do with the church, and they don't, what if the reason is not that they've been offered by, or excuse me, not that they've been offended by the pure, clear gospel of Jesus Christ, but that they've not even heard it because we're more identified by our politics and consumed with our political ideologies and positions and parties than we are the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're just sick of hearing that. What if? Well, that what if is a reality. Researchers tell us the nuns with no religious affiliation whatsoever and the duns, those that are done with the church and have walked away. It's the primary reason they give. Did you hear what I said? That ought to rattle us. That ought to wake us up. It can destroy our witness. Romans 1, verse 16. You're familiar with it. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, why are you not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for the whole world. There's one message that can save. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you understand? Do you realize the gospel is the only message of which God has declared? This message carries my power to save anyone who will hear and believe it. It's the only message God has put that stamp on. The gospel... You say, well, what is the gospel message? I'm glad you asked. The gospel is the message that God is holy. He's perfectly righteous and without any fault. And all of humanity since Adam's fall in the garden are sinners. Under the just wrath and condemnation of a holy, holy God. There's the bad news first. And what can we do to fix that problem? You know what the Bible says? There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who even seeks God. You know what the answer is? Nothing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is what? It's death. Just death. Just eternal punishment from a holy God on sinners. That is what we deserve. That's, that's, that is the reality into which we are born. And yet, but God, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners in that place of condemnation and just judgment from a holy God, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. He gave him to come and live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and there die in our place. While we were still sinners, on the third day be raised again in victory, proving that it was paid on the cross and that he won so that whoever believes in him may not perish as we deserve, but rather have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. A gift. A gift can only be received, taken by simple faith in Jesus. In the words of Romans 10, if we'll call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved. If we'll take the gift, if we'll believe that Jesus is who God says he is, he did what God says he's done. If we believe he's, his death and resurrection are all that can save us, then, then God says he will save us, he will rescue us. And he will make us, like it says in Romans 8 verse 1, it'll be true for us if we trust him that there is therefore now no condemnation ever again for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Is that the message that we're known for? J.D. Greer made this statement. I might be wrong in my opinion on universal health care. Or I might be wrong in my opinions on global warming. But I'm not wrong about the gospel because the gospel's clear. And I don't want to let my opinions on those other things ever keep people from hearing me on the latter. And it means, he goes on to say, that I show restraint about talking about certain things that I think I'm right about. Is it wrong to have political opinions on those things? No. The question is, what does the lost world know you for? You see, if our politics destroy our witness, then we've wasted opportunity to do the job we've been given to do, which is to be a, an ambassador for Christ and call a world to be reconciled to Him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, also verse 16, Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. What controls you? Is it the love of Christ and the gospel? Or has your political ideology become more controlling in your life? Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Do you see people as primarily Republican or Democrat? Or when you look at people, no matter how far apart you may be on the political spectrum, do you look at them and realize, just as you once were, let me repeat that, just as you once were, they are one for whom Christ died in desperate need of the salvation he came to give. Which is first? We cannot allow our politics to be so important in our lives that they destroy our opportunities to witness for Jesus by telling people of his love and his grace and redemption so mercifully given and available to them. Finally, this morning, it's dangerous when we allow our po earthly politics to consume us and, and we, find, we find ourselves identifying ourselves by those things because it can distract from our mission. It can distort our identity. 
they can distract from our mission. Our mission is clear in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm the king commissioning ambassadors. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. But if we allow our earthly politics to consume us, we will find ourselves distracted from that mission. And can I just take that one step further? Just one. We're in danger of that in the church in America today. We're at least in danger of being more known for our political ideology than we are for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get to that place, our heavenly citizenship has been eclipsed. Our king forever, not just for a few years here on earth in a certain location, one location on the planet, our king forever has been eclipsed. You remember Jesus, the one who died and rose again for us. Nobody ever, the old song says, love me like Jesus. Nobody ever did for me what Jesus has done for me. One pastor, I can't even say his name, just Pastor Ben, made this statement. Christians aren't called to have their primary focus on gun rights, border issues, abortion legislation, or even religious freedom. Some will contend, but those things are important. Yes, they are. I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm asking, what is your main thing? If some Christians were as excited about the mission of Christ as they are about their politics we would have revival. You see, anything that we allow to make Jesus to be in the background, that's a distraction from our mission. And it's wrong. And, and let me just take this, that next step. It's idolatry. And let me just clarify what I mean by that. You can be right before God on your political stance and it still be idolatry because it eclipses Jesus and the gospel that that world needs. And what's more important than us being right on those issues about which we should be clear. And by the way, for two weeks in a row, I think I was clear on a couple of those issues. Amen? What I hope I did, though, in the middle of all that, was make the connection to the gospel. And how, as we stand on those issues, man, we better get to the gospel or we failed. We failed. Same's true here. 
Every Jesus follower is, above all, a citizen of heaven and commissioned as Christ's ambassador to call every person in the world to citizenship in his kingdom. J.D. Greer made this statement. Whenever the church gets in bed with politics, the church gets pregnant, and our offspring does not look like our Father in heaven. Now, you can remember that, can't you? It'd do me good to remember it. John 18, Jesus says, as he stands before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. That's why in all of Scripture, all of the New Testament, you will never find Jesus or any of his, his disciples addressing any current political issues of their day. I mean, I dare you to find one. Yes, Paul uses his Roman citizenship at one point. Why? For the furtherance of the gospel. So he can stay alive to get to the place that's yet to be reached that he knows God's taken him for the gospel. Anytime anything is, 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 is used in terms of, 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 of politics in the New Testament, it's to the service of the gospel. My kingdom's not of this world, Jesus said. John 17, verse 15 Jesus said, I do not ask. He's praying for us. He's praying for that unity we talked about earlier in Ephesians 2. He says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. They are citizens of heaven. In the world, my ambassadors, they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. How did God send his son, Jesus, into the world. In love. To do what? To rescue the perishing. And why has he sent us into the world through the Great Commission? That we, through, not that he, through our witness, may rescue the perishing. We don't save anybody, but we are the messengers of that message. The only message. That's the power of God to salvation. And through our faithful witness, he saves. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 says... Paul, Paul writes to the church there, and he says, if, if then you've been raised with Christ. Let me just ask you, have you been raised with Christ today? Then you're fixing to get a message, okay, from God through Paul. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, can you... Man, are you ready? Are you ready for that? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see, Christ's eternal kingdom is here. It's here already. He brought it when he came the first time, and it's coming. It's, it's, it's progressively unfolding as, as Jesus builds his church around the world through the preaching of the gospel. And one day, it will come to planet Earth. And hear me, it'll replace all kingdoms. All kingdoms. All kingdoms. And you and I will live forever in the heavenly Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem in, on the new earth. Forever in his presence. There won't be a sun anymore. Jesus will be the light of that city. 
And only those who've trusted Christ the King as their Savior and surrendered Him as Lord will live as citizens of His kingdom, even eternally. Every Jesus follower is, above all, a citizen of heaven and commissioned as Christ's ambassador to call every person in the world to citizenship in His kingdom. There's a lot more that could be said. Probably there's a lot of questions that's been now created. Wednesday night, we'll try to answer some of those. But there's been enough truth on this point communicated from God's Word that you, before an open Bible, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you, if you know Him today, can apply it. And figure out what needs to change in my life. What needs to change in my relationships? Where do I just need to quit talking about politics and start talking about Jesus? What would it be like if I rant and raved about Jesus? This morning we come to the kingdom feast. Here at this table, we celebrate our identity and our unity in Christ. And we declare publicly our witness for Christ, even as we reaffirm the mission that Christ Himself has given us. We come today to, by the eating of a piece of bread and the drinking of some grape juice, illustrate that only the broken body and shed blood of Jesus can save. And just as our bodies are nourished by the bread and the cup, we're saying, not that there's any magic in the bread and the cup, we're saying it was the blood, broken body and shed blood of Jesus that can save and nourish a soul for eternity. And Him alone. Him alone. That's what we're saying to each other. We're saying we're one in that. We're saying, first of all, that's who I am. I'm a child of the King. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And together, we're all redeemed and one in that redemption. And we live to tell that message. Because we've been given the mission of taking that message to every person. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, you are king over all. May we live like it. Even now as we come to this kingdom feast, Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and allow Paul's words to be used by the Spirit to search even the recesses of our hearts and minds. For Paul told us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And Paul told the church at Corinth, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
God, you judged your people because they play games at this kingdom feast. And so I pray that as we come, we're not worthy of your grace. We're not worthy of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. But we come in a way that shows the beauty and value and worth of the cross. Coming to this table depending on nothing else. Nothing in ourselves. Nothing about who we are. Nothing about anything we've done or not done. But only depending on who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. May that be how we come. May we not come to this table holding on to any other idol. Be it politics or some known sin in our lives right now today. May we repent before we come. That Christ might be honored. And Lord, even when, even in those areas and those ways in which we're not even aware of our shortcoming and sin, we just confess to you that, that you know and we, we, we want to be rid of it. May we turn from it even if we can't identify it Lord may you help us to see it may we acknowledge that Lord we don't, we don't know our own hearts well enough to, to, to know sometimes our motives so purify us even now by your spirit we ask as we come and may Christ be exalted may we feast on your grace may we celebrate our unity May we recommit to the message and ministry of reconciliation that you've given us in the gospel. To go from this place proclaiming it loud and proud. Full of love and compassion. To a world that so desperately needs it. Help us now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul tells us in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 11, he said that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, just just the night before he died on the cross for us, took bread and there at that last supper, the celebration of the Passover, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, Paul says, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we do this, we are preaching a message to one another and to any in the room who don't know Jesus, but you're here. You're watching Jesus' people say to you, in in action, Christ and Christ alone, His broken body, it's the true bread for the soul. Christ and Christ alone, His shed blood, it's the only drink that can save a soul. So we come, spiritually speaking, to eat and drink of Christ afresh. We don't get saved over and over. We just remind ourselves of, what he's done once and for all. And we say to you, you can feast your heart on this meal today. You don't have to eat the bread and drink the cup. This is a table for believers. But right where you are, if you don't know him today, know this, that as we do this physically in your heart, you can talk to God. You can cry out to Jesus for the very first time. You can cry out to the Father and say, Father, save me. I believe Jesus is who he says he was. I believe he's done what you said he did. 
but he lives today. He's a living Savior. A dead man's no Savior. And I believe today you can make me, you, you, you can wash me white as snow, you can make me pure. You can declare me righteous in your sight. You can make it true for me that, that there never will ever again be any condemnation because Jesus is my righteousness and Jesus paid it all for my sins. Just pray something like that today. He'll hear you. His word says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Just call on him today even as we come. Even as we come. Church, come to the table. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to start over here with Pastor Trey. If you're visiting with us, let me just make a couple of housekeeping things. Everything's in one package. Take the clear layer off first to get the bread, then the purple or pinkish-looking layer to get to the juice. Do it in that order, or you'll have grape juice in your lap. If you need a gluten-free option, then the, the crackers right here are there for you for that. So I invite you this morning. As Pastor Trey leads the way, come to the table and feast your souls on Christ.
a moment as we uh, just give a moment for our worship team to serve themselves and the Lord's